Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hits Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. First off, let's get this out of the way. It is a new era at the Bradford Show. We have a producer, an executive producer, in fact, Mike Grinnell, at Mike Grinnell underscore. I've never seen a Twitter handle that actually has the underscore after the name, but whatever. Good for you, Mike Grinnell. At Mike Grinnell underscore. He is jumping aboard the runaway freight train that is the Bradford Show podcast. You may know Mike from his work with Spittin' Chicklets, the awesome podcast, Barstool Hockey Podcast with Rear Admiral and Ryan Whitney. Uh, but Mike, is, Mike sees the, the potential in our little corner of the world and has been nice enough to become part of the family. So I look forward to working with Mike. He's already had an enormous impact. If, in case you heard the Michael Hawley podcast, you probably saw it all over social media because now we have a Twitter account and an Instagram account. Both are at Bradfo underscore show. So go to those places, subscribe on iTunes, leave comments, do all of that. It's once again, it is a new era here. We started with the reboot at the beginning of the year. It's been great. A lot of people catching the fever and we, we thank you all for listening. But now it's, it's next level. Now it's next level. And we are coming off a great podcast with Michael Hawley talking about his David Ortiz book. And what we did now is we basically, I grabbed Eddie Romero, assistant general manager of the Boston Red Sox, off day in St. Louis. And there's no better person to talk about the guy that everybody wants to talk about for the Red Sox. And he doesn't even play for the Red Sox. But he's the hottest property the hottest commodity the hottest name in terms of those who are following this team right now and that is Raphael Devers third baseman for your Portland Sea Dogs people want to know where this kid's at how long it's going to be before he gets to the Red Sox where did he come from all of those questions are answered by the guy 
who had a huge, huge hand in helping bring Devers to the Boston Red Sox organization back in 2013. And now it's part of the decision-making process in terms of having him climb the ladder all the way up to the Major League roster. So this is the preeminent, the best, the one and only Rafael Devers podcast with Red Sox assistant general manager, Eddie Romero. Making his first ever appearance on the Bradford Show podcast. You know what that means. Free t-shirt. Eddie Romero, assistant general manager of the Boston Red Sox. He was kind enough to sit with us overlooking the St. Louis Arch on the off day. Eddie, how you doing? Uh, better now that I know that I have something to wash my car with. <laughs> <laughs> you aren't alone. That's, that's our demographic. It's better than the ShamWow, the Bradford t-shirt. Um, so, Eddie, we want to grab you a little bit. and We've talked to you before about the, your, your previous existence was international scouting quite a bit like you said now you're the assistant gm but rafael devers is a name everyone wants to talk about and um as we sit here right now let's get this out of the way as we sit right now here right now how do you see devers progression where he's at how far he has to go um i think he's in a in a very good spot developmentally for us um you know he's came into the season uh, first time in spring uh, in, in major league spring training and he he impressed the staff with his work ethic, uh, the way he went about things. He had very good feel for being a young guy in his first camp. So we just wanted to make sure we saw how he uh, – it, it wasn't all about performance. It was how he handled himself and how he went about his business. And he did that very well, and I think he uh, impressed the staff with uh, just the way he went about his work. As the season started, it's been encouraging to see that he's got off to a good start. You know, last year, first time really playing in – uh, cool weather out right at the start, you know, and he, he ended up heating up during the regular season uh, and finished off very well. He had a good spr- a good off season, I should say. And then going into this spring and into the season, we were you know very happy with where he is. He's uh, we've gotten very good reports from him defensively, in terms of range, arm strength, accuracy, and uh, the, the the numbers so far, you know, on the offensive side and where he's gone from a, from an approach standpoint and the improvements he's made there in being more selective and uh, we've seen early, you know, the, the power has exhibited itself early on. So we're very happy with his progress. So I want to get into into the path that you it, you took to find Rafael Devers because you're talking about a 20-year-old now, but when you signed him, I believe he was 17. Um, but first, to go back to what you said, he was in spring training, Major League spring training for the first time. And you know, he impressed some ways, and in other ways he struggled, as any 20-year-old would do. If I was 20-year-old, I would struggle in Major League camp. I probably struggle every single year in existence. It is, it is a huge leap for anybody. And as you said, I thought he acclimated himself well. He's, you know, he didn't try to do too much, it didn't seem. He, didn't try, he wasn't trying to be the life of the party. He watched, he learned, everything else. What were some of the things from the day he went to spring training to the day he left spring training that you think that he learned, that he picked up along the way? I think a lot of it from watching some of the older guys is just how to uh, get a full day's work in. Everything from arriving early to going over video to getting in the gym to then going out and getting what you need to do in terms of ground ball work, in terms of a batting practice, and then finishing it off with whether he was doing extra conditioning or uh, going back and watching his at-bats on video. I think there's uh, an overall, you know, like uh, what, uh, what a major leaguer does to improve day by day. And I think he was very observant of that. 
that. I think he surrounded himself with uh, with the right group of guys. And uh, you know, in, in talking with him, you know, he was. I know he put a little bit of pressure on himself because he wanted to perform so bad, so badly at, during the spring. And and he, when, during his struggles, you know, he got a little frustrated. And and I think. Uh, you know, he, got, he calmed himself down, which I like that to see that. He didn't panic or anything like that, and he ended up you know, doing a little bit better there at the end. But I just think um, overall just seeing how guys that have had success at the major league level work day in and day out, even during the spring. You know, I think that, and maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think another thing is talking to people in Portland from the first day, watching him actually in the mini camp, in the uh, the rookie mini camp, to when he left spring training and then talking to people in Portland is conditioning. I think that... My guess is that he learned that's one of the things he also learned along the way is it sneaks up on you. Getting big sneaks up on you. And I sense that he got a little big, but once again, talking to people in Portland seems like he learned a lot from that time in spring training and also the early on in the season about that. I agree. I think uh, he's re- realized and realizing what uh, what the, is his best playing weight and what he can do, what he can do in terms of uh, agility. And um, again, he's only 20 years old, so in the off season, you know, he everybody wants some time off, and he does. And I'm sure, you know, like in his downtime, uh, perhaps he took a couple weeks off or something like most guys do, and it might take him a little bit more to get in shape. And I think he's realized that. I think he's worked very hard on his nutritional habits, uh, what to eat, what foods affect him the most what foods give him you know energy get him going and that's a constant learning uh, process for a lot of kids and again I go back to the age you know obviously everybody at that age most of the guys are just eating pizzas whenever and I think uh, he's learned that that may affect him you know, a little bit more than others or might take a little bit more work uh, if he is to put on some weight but I think he's done a heck of a job um, realizing what what's good what's bad uh, you know staying away from from the, the foods that affect him negatively and you um, I think you know the, the fact that he shed the weight that he needed to early on. It didn't affect him negatively, and uh, and again, I think that's that all goes into the early season success that he's had. So let's go back. First time you saw him. First time you remember hearing about him. First time you saw him. Sure. I, the first time was uh, it was early. It was June or July of. Uh, that you know of, of the, his prior signing year, so we were on him very early, and I remember our area scout, our, our Dominican supervisor Manny Nanita, just being like, "There is this kid that you have to see," and it wasn't just like you know, and, and every day you know, pump up for the kid. He was like, "This kid might be special," and he he was the first one to see him. He was the first one to recognize it, and so as soon as we got in there, you know, we had. We we uh, there was a group of us and Todd Klaus was in there, Roly Pino was in there, and we went in there and it was immediately like wow, you know, like this isn't something we usually see. The you know left-handed power bats are difficult to find down there, and uh, for such a young age, he had a, a surprising ability to use the whole field to square the ball up. Uh, you know, we were looking for guys to do things and how they react to breaking balls and how they can uh, stay back on the ball. And if they're just trying to hit home runs, which is usually what you see down there, but he used the whole field. He was very content getting a base hit to left field just as much as he was hitting a ball out of the ballpark. It was a very advanced field, and there was there was a, a lot of a lot of power. There was a lot of thunder in the bat, and so it immediately caught our attention. In addition to that. When we saw how he how he moved at third base, it surprised us because, you know, he's not he wasn't in the same shape that he is now. When he was then, he was obviously and he'd be the first to tell you he was a little pudgier and, but he was always light on his feet. He always had a very accurate arm. He had arm strength. And there were questions, you know, people wondering about uh, whether he was going to have to move to third base or whatever. But I know we were very confident that with our player development staff and our our coordinators. 
and with our strength and conditioning uh, staff on top of him, that he'd be able to stay there. And I think he's only strengthened our thought of that because of the way that he's played third base and, you know, in talking with, you know, Andy Fox and, and even with Dave this past week about how he looked at uh, he looked at third base this past week when Dave was in Portland to see him. He was very encouraged by the fact that, you know, this guy is going to be a third baseman. A big part of, of what you did and what you, what you do is relationship building. And I know that the other scouts are involved but when you talk about this kid as a 17-year-old international free agent and signing, ultimately signing for top-tier money, I think a million and a half dollars, that you have to develop a relationship, and, and this is a big part of it. So how did that sort of evolve for, for the Red Sox, not only for you but for the scouts? Sure. Well, he was a he was a very shy kid from the outset. You know, you could see he was most comfortable on the field, and that was evident because uh, for a kid as, as as shy as he was, he uh, it, you know he was his all his plays stood out uh, on the field. So once you got to know him, you got to meet his family. His father uh, played a little bit of uh, professional baseball, and um, we. Uh, our, our area, our area scout again was the one was was the key cog in this entire thing. He was the one that got to know the family the best. Uh, he got to know the kid. He got to figure out how well he competed. And uh, the more we, de- we we went down there, we had obviously various uh, scouts and cross checkers go down there. He always stood out. He always performed for us. Uh, even when he wasn't at his best, he still didn't affect let it affect his attitude or his effort level, which for us was key. And uh, I remember one particular conversation where I was talking to him and he mentioned having to go have another tryout with another club. And he looked me right in the eye and, and he was like, don't let me leave this academy because I don't want to play for anybody else. And I was like, you know, uh, <laughs> you hear that a lot with him. You know, you, you feel it was genuine and and he's we've referred to that moment before you know after the fact and he was like Eddie I was being honest like I didn't want to play for another team and so um you know usually you know you you hope that that was that was genuine I think it was genuine and I'm I'm, you know I was obviously ecstatic when we got him what so you go to that moment even though he's saying I want to play for the Red Sox don't let me leave this the Red Sox Academy um was that do you remember when it came to crunch time of being nervous that there were other teams at the same level of interest even maybe even more interest financially or relationship-wise or anything. Do you remember that time? Was it was it a dicey situation, or were you pretty confident that you're going to get him? Well, I think we were confident we were going to get him because uh, we had established such a good relationship with him, with his with his family, and uh, and with the agent as well. And I think um, you know at the end of the day, they made it uh, you know perfectly blunt to us that they preferred that we be the team. And I think we were where we needed to be financially as well on July second of that year. Um, you know, competitive with whatever other teams. There was obviously a lot of interest in him. Um, you know, he was no secret. He wasn't you know he wasn't hidden. He he was he always performed well at all the showcases, and so. Um, you you know, I just think that uh, there were commitments on on both sides to getting getting it done, and that's why uh, that's why it happened. One of the fascinating things that it, when we talk about leading up to that and where these kids are coming from, Dominican Republic, and the, yeah, you try to acclimate them with the academy and everything else, but then they're away from home, they're playing professional baseball, totally different setting, maybe in Fort Myers, Florida. When he started that process, that that part of his life how was that you said he's a shy kid how did he handle it both on the field and off the field well I think uh, like any young very young person when you're thrown into a new environment you know it takes time for you to trust people it takes time for you to open up and I think uh I think he did that very well you know we got him into English classes right away Uh, we got him uh surrounded by uh, 
our player development staff who you know he's he's felt comfortable with since day one a lot of those guys he knew before he signed with us just from being at the academy now those coaches like the you know the Wilton Verises and the Nelson Paulinos those guys were there before him and saw him at the academy have developed you know through the system as he has and um you know I think he's he's a very he's a, he's an engaging kid now he's uh He's very easy to talk to. He's been a great teammate to both, you know, the the, the Latin kids and to the American kids, and um, you know, and he's just a, a hard worker. And I think when other you know teammates see how hard he works, it, you know, that also that ultimately garners him a lot of respect. He smiles a lot. He does. You know, that was his nickname when we when we signed him. Uh, he's it was 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 like the equivalent of Smiley. He does that. I think you know, I, I, he knows he he knows what what he likes to do and he loves what he does. And you know, he's fortunate that I don't think he takes that for granted. What was the moment? So he he starts playing professional baseball, and you know, he has a nice swing and he has the skills and everything else. But were, was there a moment in the last few years where you said? There it is. This is what could potentially, and we aren't saying that he's absolutely going to become a star in the major leagues, but potentially could be the guy that we thought he would be. What we do is is so difficult, and you project on a lot of these guys, and and so many of the times that you're like, oh, I think this guy could be something. And and look, at the end of the day, in reality, that's in 99% of the time you're wrong. And um, for whatever reason, you know, I, I guess, you know, we as in consensus collectively thought that this kid had a chance to really be special. I think when you combine his offensive prowess, the, the projection for power, his defensive ability, and the makeup and work ethic and desire to be not only a good player but a good player for the Red Sox, I think that may have set him above, you know, our conviction with some other players. I don't know if there was an aha moment with him from the minor leagues, but as soon as he started playing in the Dominican Summer League, those first couple of weeks that he started performing, and that was exactly what we had seen him do prior to that. I mean, usually there is some kind of struggle early on. He didn't struggle. He hit for some power right away. Um, and, you know, he was only there, I think, three or four weeks, if I'm not mistaken, before we called him up to the Gulf Coast League, and he continued there. That, was, it, that just went to show you that it, it was different. When did teams start showing interest in him? And I know that they obviously it's been pretty well documented about teams showing interest last trade deadline and in the offseason, but when did teams start showing, uh, like, this is the guy that we want for X guy? I think I think he's been a well-known, you know, prospect for a while now, you know, for at least the last couple of years. He, uh, he's, you know, kind of been a quote-unquote guy for a while since uh, – since he was such a high-profile international player. And at all these showcases and a lot of, you know, American cross-checkers and scouting directors were there to see those and front office personnel. And I think he separated himself at those events as well. So I think he's been pretty well-known. And, you know, the fact that he's been able to perform um, throughout the lower levels of the minors now in A has only kind of risen his stock. And so, you know, obviously it's over the past couple of years he's become more and more of a popular name. Has he embraced this whole th- this whole notion of being a guy? The Futures game, the Major League camp, now people are constantly going up to Portland because it's a good story to do. Do you think he's comfortable with this? I think so. You know, I think um I think he realizes that you know he's known, and especially in in our market in New England, and everybody doesn't just follow the big league team. Everybody follows the the, the minor leagues as well, and and and, and the prospects and everything. Uh, I do think he's comfortable with. It. I think you know he's gotten some help from that from playing in the Dominican, where it's you know there's there's a 
there's an audience there's a and, and with a, with a high level of interest in the way he does and, and and media there as well and you know he's already had some you know had to deal with the media in the minor in the lower levels of the minor leagues with us, and uh, and there's been nothing to the effect that you know has worried us about the way that he's handled it. He's a, he's a great kid, and I think he's he's composed and he's poised. So I don't think really any any of that stuff has phased him. As we sit here right now, obviously you know once again he's he's a talker. He's he's a name out there. People like talking about. Um, and I, I'm not expecting you to say, oh, this is going to be the day that we think that Rafael Devers is going to be called up. But at the same time, it is, it is um, interesting to me where you have last year and you have the Benintendi and the Mancata examples. And my question to you is, using last year, is there something that you can learn that maybe even you didn't know before or even like 5% of it that you might be able to use when making the Devers decision? I, you know, I don't. I don't think there's anything out of the ordinary. You know, I. You know, we. I don't know what the plan is for him. I know he's progressing re- very well. He, I think he is where he needs to be. You know, as, as Dave mentioned last week, and we, you know, said in, in in our discussions over the past few days, he's progressing well. He's in a good spot. Uh, I think Carlos Fables and and the staff down there has done a great, great job uh, developing, and they know that you know there, there's there's a, a another level you know to, to go to AAA and then the big league level. So he's only really two steps two two notches away, and. Um, there really isn't, you know. I, I think it's just maturity, more, more at bats, more game, more, more games for him, and the fact that he's still refining his approach, which is a, a big thing, you know. And I think, you know, our, our hitting coach Lee May is really emphasizing that with him, and we've seen some results over the past month or so, over the past two weeks, that um, are encouraging in that regard. You know, where he's refining his approach, he's, you know. That league knows who he is now as well, and so it's you know he's being di- pitched too difficultly and, and differently, and uh, now it's his turn to make that adjustment and, and progress in that. Would it be fair to say that when people say, "Well, why if Benintendi can go to Double A to the major leagues, why can't this kid?" Fitter say that, well, the biggest difference and the easy answer to that is you're talking about a kid in Benintendi who was a couple of years more advanced in terms of his professional, or not his professional baseball, but his baseball playing career. Sure. I, yeah, I agree with that. You know, I mean, he, you know, Benny had played through high school and then he had his, his two years of college at, you know, major school against uh, probably the best conference in college baseball. And, uh, you know, where, where Rafi, you know, comes from, a, from the, the most – the the riskiest and the hardest to project, and the uh, the market with where you have the least experience before being thrown into uh, professional baseball. So um, we just have to remember, you know, he's still 20 years old. He won't be 21 until after the season, and uh, you know, we just we're just. Like, I know I keep saying it, but he's just in a, he's in a good place developmentally, and. Um, you know, he's, there are some things that he needs to work on, and he knows what those things are, and that's what he's doing right now. What are those? What's, 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 what do we say the, the, the biggest thing that he – because he knows this. I mean, this, he's not going to listen to the podcast and say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe Eddie Romero said this about me. But what is the biggest thing he needs to work on? I can probably guarantee he doesn't listen to the Rob Bradford. But I, I cannot make that guarantee at all. Uh, you know, like I like I mentioned earlier, I think it's the the refining the approach. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. I think um, you know he's never been a guy to to strike out that much, but he also hasn't walked that much.
much. And I think that's one thing where more so than just walks, walks and strikeouts, I think it's um, handling what pitches are what pitchers are giving you uh, and making sure to swing at pitches that you can do damage with. And that's something that especially at a young age, without that many minor league at-bats and some, that uh, he continues to work on. I think he knows the importance of that, and that will only make him better. That will only improve his numbers. That will only allow him to get to his power more. And I think that's been um, the area of concentration for him. And I know in, in chatting with him, too, that you know he's always working on his defense as well, whether it's you know uh, positioning and, and what he can get to in range and coming in on balls and the accuracy of his throws. He's, that's always on his mind as well. It's not just always about the bat. Now, the, the, uh, the first third baseman that you ever tracked was your dad. And so I, 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 do, I can't leave you, let you go without offering the best anecdote, the best memory of your dad, Eddie Romero, the, the original Gator, right? The, and with the Boston Red Sox, obviously he was straw that stirred the drink when they made their 1986 World Series run. As a youngster, what, what was your favorite memory about being around your dad, Major League Baseball player? Well, first, he was more of a shortstop. Uh, of course, you know that. I know, but I was, I was trying to tie it all together. And I also, nobody, when I say the original Gator, nobody is going to remember that Mike Greenwell was also called the Gator. So, whatever. But what was your favorite memory? Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's any, uh, any one particular memory. I just, I do remember, you know, like, and I obviously very young then, but just going to the ballpark every day with him, just, uh, you know, and you kind of grow up, you're like, yeah, everybody's dad is a baseball player. You know, you, you don't really know anything else. But I just remember what a fun atmosphere that was with, like, Jimmy Rice and and uh, and that team was so good and just like this expectation to win it was like you know on our talks to the on our drives to the ballpark it'd just be like oh yeah i wonder by how much we're gonna win by you know and and my question to him was hey are you gonna play today which you know usually wasn't you know a yes but but people i mean he he had was it oh he was robbed right he was robbed by brian downing that was that was a you know the the two like moments that really stick out were that one in the playoffs against uh against brian downing when he when he got robbed the home run and then just being in the world at the World Series at the end of the season and me not being there, which was a very traumatic moment. Why weren't you there? I, I was young. I was with my grandfather in, at home in Florida. And, um, you know, when everything went down, I just remember sobbing uncontrollably, uh, game six, talking to my dad at 2 o'clock in the morning after that because I just had to hear it from him. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was um, – but it was. It, it was what a great experience being here, you know, being at Fenway for those years. I, you can't – you can't have a childhood that much cooler than that. No, you can't. Uh, my dad was not called the Gator. Oh, maybe, maybe he was. I don't. Know. I have no idea. But uh, and this, the last question: How do you like your job? I mean, you're, the fact of the matter is that you're, you're assistant GM. You're making the trip uh, to this beautiful St. Louis as a representative of the front office, which is something you wouldn't do as international scouting director. How? What's the biggest difference in this job for you? I think the obvious difference is. Uh, a lot more exposure to the major league club, you know, and um, the everyday workings, the the medical updates and concerns, the roster player and, and construction and movement, and um, really with just, you know, the, the heavy focus of making this team better, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, scouting our minor leaguers to see what you know what moves can can help us um what players with other teams are possible future fits and uh you know and and as well as still overseeing the international scouting um department which is still a passion for for me and for our department 
And um, while I've obviously, you know, delegated some, I've, I've had to, I think, uh, getting out to the Dominican Republic and Venezuela every once in a while still, like, recharges that, you know, scouting um, desire. And, and uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great so far. Dave's been great in exposing me to, you know, uh, you know the, the inner workings of our operation and um, just working, uh, you know, a lot more hand-in-hand with Brian O'Halloran and, and a lot of uh, – and, and learning that aspect of, of the, uh, the major league industry as well. Is a per diem better for assistant GM or scouting director? It's the same. Is it really? It is. But now, you know, you're eating at, you know, a little bit nicer cities. It's not, you know, maybe I should, you know, ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. See, these are the things that we worry about. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Rob. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nano-spray coating gives you professional protection and a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. How did one man go from the scion of a Bay Area sausage company to triple murderer? Bud Stewart was always just a little off the rails. I'm Natalia Gravich, and I explored this question and many others on The Sausage King, a new podcast from KCBS Radio and Odyssey. He would park the truck with the pig and the straw in front of my campaign headquarters. Didn't like to follow any rules. Subscribe and listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.